Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Well, hey, welcome everyone. I am back here with Rob and how's it going, Rob? Uh, it's going well, thank you. How are you? Living the dream. It's hot. Not as hot as Mesa, but... No, no, you don't want to hear about my day today either. Yeah. <laughs> Someone could be listening to this in like December and they're like, what do you mean it's hot? <laughs> Where do you live? So, um, so we just had, uh, we just posted the interview that we did with Scott uh, McKnight and Lauren Berenger. That, that was just a blast of an interview to do. Um, we've just had a lot of great guests on. And, yeah, we got more great ones. And, and we will have more. Yeah, it's, been, it's yeah. a lot of fun. And, and, and the way this podcast is going to work, we might do something for a couple of weeks where we are kind of on a topic. We interview someone. Maybe we'll do an extended uh, few weeks actually getting into a Bible study or a theological topic. So it kind of bounces around, uh, but we definitely want to do a, a follow-up to our talk with mm-hmm. Scott and Laura. There was so much there <laughs> that I know that you and I just wanted to keep that going and we kept yeah. dialoguing about. So, you know, so that conversation is definitely there. We're, we're assuming you've already listened to it. So if you have not, make sure to stop this, go back and listen to that uh, podcast. What are some of the things that you want to kind of cover as we do a follow-up. Yeah, good question. I'd like us to, to kind of bring a little bit of closure to the conversation, maybe wrap up that conversation a little bit, framing it a little bit. I'd like us to look at three different things uh, in this episode. One is, what is a good church? Which is obviously the conversation with Scott and, and Laura. What does a good church look like? Secondly, what happens when there's corruptions and problems in churches and pastors, and how do we deal with that? And then thirdly, what about the people that have been hurt by the church? There's just so many people out there, Vinny. I know them personally. They're telling me their stories. They're so hurt by the church that they're lost. They don't want to, they don't know where to go. I mentioned to you on the pre-show that I have a very high view of the church. Uh, the church is the body of Christ on the earth today. Uh, there's a great conversation with First Corinthians 11, I think, that needs to be uh, dealt with at some point in time when, when Paul says, you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself because you don't have regard for the body. I think he's talking about the body of the church, not the body of Jesus. That's the context of chapters 10, 11, 12, and uh, of 1 Corinthians. So I have a very high theology of the church, a very high view of the church, but the church is in the West, especially, that's, all, that, that's our context. And there's just been a lot of people that have been hurt. And I think we need to address that. Absolutely. So, so let me, it's gonna, well, and, and I would even say like, it, we're, we're just dipping our toes into this conversation. Yeah, this could yeah. be a multi-part series. So, right. <laughs> you know, th- right. there's a lot more to be said. And, and even I would say to folks, there are going to be folks who are going to listen to this, who this could bring up stuff for. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. know this because I know personally people who are going to listen to this podcast uh, and I know their stuff. And so, yeah. uh, you know, part of this is, I don't know, informational part of it is pastoral in a sense yeah. uh, we want to empower people to talk but it's also there's a difficulty in bringing these things right. up because you, you never want to um, put someone up on an operating table and just open them up and then leave them there right. and so part of it is hey, we're introducing a conversation there's a lot more to it and so we would hope that if you are listening to this you have someone in your corner who you, it is safe to process these things with uh, whether it's a, a friend or a healthy you know, pastor or a, a therapist, or, you know, there's some, right. someone out there. Uh, I don't know. What are their suggestions? Just as yeah, really good, this? really good point. In fact, for some of the people that are listening, this is going to bring up some really bad memories. that's going to cause them even more pain. And they might go, I'm not going to deal with this. Uh, we understand that. I think I'm going to put my email address in the show notes here. If you need to email me and you want to have a conversation, 
I'm not a professional psychologist or psychiatrist. Uh, you might need a professional counseling. That's a really good way to go. Um, because in order to really get through this, you need 10 hours or more of, mm-hmm. of really dialogue to kind of really get down at, at, at some of the deeper issues there. So I'm happy to talk with some of you if you, if you want to send me a note or, or whatever as a, from a pastoral side of things, kind of give you some things to think about. But I'm not a, I'm not a trained counselor. So I want that to be, to be out there as well. I'm a, I'm a biblical scholar. I know the scriptures. I know the church. I have a theory, theology of the church. I've been there. I've been hurt by the church myself. And I know, I know what it's like, and, and maybe I'll help you kind of get some directions on where to go. Also note, Scott and Laura are doing another book, a follow-up book. Nice. I'm not exactly sure the thrust of this book, but I've been in talk conversations with them. We've been emailing this week about a few things also, uh, because they're recognizing how many people, how, how many people have been hurt. So I, I think that's a couple of things I would think about there, and we'll kind of go from there. So get some counseling, and don't be afraid of that, because I think it's so important. And if you're a pastor... You got to have a counselor. You need a counselor. You just do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe we'll get to that later on also. Let me, let me begin by, Vinny, by saying, you know, what did you take away from the conversation with Scott uh, and Laura? I mean, part of it was just on a personal level. Like you read a book. Um, I Part of it was when I was reading it, you know, when you listen to lectures from people, uh, I, I don't know if you do this, like you've heard someone give a public speech talk and so you read a commentary or a book they write and so you could almost like read it in their voice so i i've i've heard a number of scott's lectures over the years that are available online or whatever so part of it was like i kind of read it with his voice in mind but um actually having the conversation with scott and laura specifically like it just personalized it so like that was the first thing is just like okay this is this isn't just theory or a case study this is like a real real situation so that was the first thing for me but honestly the thing that really like i've sat back i had to go back and listen to the uh you know re-listen to the show is the way scott defined the role of the church and i think that that was even like a moment where we all stopped and they were silent and laura was like hey can you say that again (laughs) um and 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 he said the role of the church in the world is to witness uh is to be witness to the redemptive uh work of god in christ and to embody that redemption in a good way of life that makes our witness credible and and it's even right there it's like man what a like i've just sat on that (laughs) for the last yeah we, we i mean we did this that that taping a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so it's like in those last couple of weeks, that's just been something where I've just really sat on that and, and just kind of meditated on that. Good. Good. Yeah. What about you? Well, I would, for me, this has been a personal conversation. It's been something I've been processing for years. What is the church? Why do we do it the way we do it? Why do we do things that we do? Why do we not do this? Why do we do that? And so there's not a quick answer. I, I think if I gave a quick answer, I'd say, well, yeah, what if churches focus on being tov, which is the Hebrew word for good? Mm-hmm. But I think we need to define tov even more deeply. And, the, and, and Scott and Laura did that. And we're going to have an episode in a couple of weeks with Michael Gorman. And if you don't know who Michael Gorman is, he is the leading New Testament theologian in the United States, certainly on, on the letters of Paul. And he has expressed that the New Testament has this principle that he calls cruciformity. Mm-hmm. That being a disciple of Jesus in a church means that we live this cruciform lives. And, and it's two words smashed together, like conformity and crucified, right? That's it. It's if the church is, what if the church is focused on being Christ-like? And I know so many churches think, oh, well, we are. It's like, no, we're not. Uh, we just aren't. Uh, the long answer is that there's just a lot of issues here. And we're not going to finish the conversation today. I want to let the listeners know that 
we do have some other guests coming on next week. So we're going to get to another topic then. Uh, in two weeks, Michael Gorman will be on. And we'll have different topics then. And then you and I will have some sessions on understanding apocalyptic literature and prophetic literature. And understand. so we're just going to have some fun with the scriptures for a, few, for a number of mm -hmm. weeks. And then maybe we'll circle back to this because I think we just need to kind of keep reliving it. And as we wrestle with the scriptures, we'll wrestle with the scriptures. But um, I struggle with the fact that churches are... I get the fact that you have a budget you have to meet uh, and so you have to raise money and that you have thing, programs in place and those programs are good and you want to fund them. But I think we've compromised the gospel so much to make that happen that we're not creating Tove churches. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. that, that's where I'd start. Uh, let's begin then tonight, if we can, Vinny, discussing kind of a, a abuse in the church. And let, let me kind of get your take. You know, Scott said that pastoring appeals to narcissists. I thought that was really neat. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it's true. He, he said anybody that wants to get up on stage and speak to 100 or 200 people must have a narcissist element to them. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. okay, convicted, right? Uh, <laughs> all of us. Uh, so what, what do you think about that yourself? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting one. Um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll even back this up. So I was a psych major for my bachelor's oh, degree. That's right. And so, that's yeah, right. and so because so, I wanted to actually become a therapist. Okay. And so I, when you're a psych major, you go, th you you study. It's just a survey. You're not yeah. trained in anything, right? Um, but you you learn all these things. And so you take like an abnormal psychology class. And so that's where you go through like the diagnostic manual of like all the abnormal conditions and those sorts of things. And it's, it's crazy because you start learning about all these and then you start looking for them everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing that medical students do because mm -hmm. I've had friends who are doctors and have gone to med school and you learn about all these things and you realize like, oh my gosh, I have all of these things because you're just projecting this on everything you see. So one of my things is uh, to try to be aware of just looking at past experiences of after reading the, the Tove book, looking through past experiences of church life and, and saying, okay, well, was this guy a narcissist or was this guy like, not like really trying to avoid that. Right. But then try to have an honest evaluation of what's going on there. Right. So my first thing is, is when, you know, sitting on the book in, in that conversation for a few weeks um, is thinking, okay, there legitimately are aspects of narcissism that are in leaders. And you could, you know, yeah. you could see that. And a lot of times it's hindsight that you really could identify that. I think there's also just other aspects of you have, everyone is broken in this world mm -hmm. and the pastor is no different and they're going to bring their stuff into their career. And so why is it that, you know, like, I'm not going to assume ill motive of, of a pastor. I, I, I I'm going to assume most of the time they have a pure desire and why I, they want to do this. I agree. But what's going on with them that they have this need to have to say, like, you know, I have to convince these people of something. I have to defend this. What What is it? Why? You know, is it coming from a place of codependency? Is it coming from a place of hurt in their own life or shame that they're living with where they they just haven't had something dealt with? They haven't had a need met. And I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking like in psychology, <laughs> uh, like I'm not trying to be Dr. Phil on this stuff, right? But there's a legitimate aspect that we bring that into all our aspects of life. It doesn't matter if you're a baseball player or a musician or anything you're doing that has a performance aspect to it. Am I doing that because I'm the narcissist and I just think I'm the greatest thing ever and I'm going to change the world? Or is it something driving me that says, I need to prove something to myself or I have a daddy issue or a mommy issue or, or something like that. So that that's, that's my you know, that was my first reaction to the narcissism thing is we, we obviously we're not professionals. We, we don't have the ability to diagnose people. And oftentimes we don't know enough about them, but is it something where could it also just be something else as just baggage or maybe a combination of, of the two? I don't know. What, what, are, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I, I think it's something that, that, that's actually very significant that we need to let people that are going into pastoral ministry know, hey, this is a danger. Uh, you're going to be held up on a pedestal. The fact is that when you go up to preach, especially if you preach a lot, the women in the church go, I wish my husband was like that. Yeah. Because they hear us talking scripture and speaking idealistically about how good you should, as, and, and everyone assumes, oh, well, he must do that or she must do that. Mm -hmm. Wish my husband or my wife was like that person up there. Yeah, yeah. And the reality is we should be talking to pastors and training them saying, be careful about this because it's a danger. And if you have a successful church, it becomes even more dangerous. I think we should also be speaking to the congregation saying, hey, you guys have to be careful about your pastors and watch mm -hmm. out for them uh, and care for them and nurture them because this is just simply not an easy job, especially because, and for all those pastors of small churches out there, they're just on this island. They have nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a number of years ago, I worked at a church in, in California in which one of the executive pastors on the staff there was really the guy that I went to mm -hmm. when I needed something. I was close to this person, but when I became on staff, that, that guy became my boss. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now I, I, I can't go to him anymore because I want to, but he's my boss. Mm -hmm. And so I had to find places outside the church. And so if you're a pastor, you, you've got to find others outside the community where you can go and share what's happening so that you don't fall into that trap. And, and fall into the dangers and, and the snares that are out there. So both sides, pastors should be aware of this and congregations should be aware of this. I think also though, this is actually made worse by the fact that since the Reformation, right? One of the things that happened in the Reformation was we made preaching the center of the church, the center mm -hmm. of Christian services for Protestantism, whereas communion and the mass was the center for Catholicism. And all of a sudden now, the whole reason why you come to church is to hear me speak. And I think, no, the reason why we come to church is to glorify Christ and to become more like him. It's, it's to worship and be transformed. Christ should be the center of the church, of, of the service. Now, maybe that's happening. Maybe your sermons are really Christ-centered. Okay, mm -hmm. okay, mission accomplished. But the fact that we have these sermons in some churches are 50 minutes long, an hour and 10 minutes long. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense to me at all, by the way, because we know that people retain like 10% of what they hear. So speaking to them for like an hour, just it doesn't matter. They're not listening anymore. Anyway. They're not going to attain this. How, how many people know what the sermon last Sunday was if you're listening to this on a Thursday or Friday? Mm -hmm. How many of you can name what even the topic of the sermon last week? You can't. So it's a, and yet we, we speak for 45. Why don't we speak for 20 minutes and give them some key nuggets to, to chew on and some homework assignments and then have some discussion time as a, as a community? Because in discussion, learning happens even more exponentially. Uh, and there's a lot of other things that I think we can talk there. Maybe we'll do an episode on preaching sometime. I'm uh, just I, curious on that real quick. Did, yeah. Because you're someone who served as a senior pastor for yes. the last seven years where you gained the majority of pulpit uh, you know, time. Is that some, did, did your own perspective on this change in the course of you, uh, you know, standing in that role? Or is that, is that a conviction that you went in with? Already? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I haven't thought about it. And it's a little off topic, but I'm just curious because no, yeah, you're bringing no, it's it up. Good. It's, it's, it is somewhat relevant a little bit. And maybe we'll have a, a, a mm -hmm. session on sermon and sermons, et cetera. But I usually typically preach for 25 minutes, but sometimes it will go 35. And I, I imagine maybe there's a 40 minute one in there. But the only reason why I preached that long was because I wanted to preach from the text. And I knew that 
this text is going to take me 10 to 15 minutes to explain what the text is saying. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to take me 10 to 15 minutes to start saying, okay, now what does this mean for us today? So everyone, every time I, my sermons was, I, I had like, okay, what does this mean for us today? It's something along those lines. This is the application. So I, I centered the text by teaching the text and here's what it's saying. Okay, now here's what it means for us. And that just took me that, that much time. Mm -hmm. But the thing that maybe we need to delve in more deeply later that I don't like about the sermons, and I've said this before, and I'll say it on the, on the podcast now, I think the, the sermon is the stupidest genre we have in Christianity, because people walking into a church, into a service, now people that walk into your classes, Vinny, are people that are probably most likely more mature or desiring to become more mature, that's why they're taking time to go to a class also. Now, obviously, you might have some, some here and there that, that, that don't fit that, that, that box, but for the most part, they're more mature. But in a Sunday morning service, unbelievers to mature believers to people who think they're more mature, mature believers and they're not, mm -hmm. to, think who do, to people who don't think they're more they're mature believers and they are. And no matter what I say or what the preacher says, they're all hearing something else. And I've had sermons where someone comes up to me and says, did you say this? Did you mean this? I'm like, oh, no, no, I did not mean that at all. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that you would even think that. And I only clarified it to that one individual because they asked me the question. And I'm thinking, how many other people in the church were thinking I might have said that mm -hmm. or my, I might have meant that? You have to have interactiveness mm -hmm. just so that you can take those kind of questions. Like, are you saying this? I just want to make, make sure we're clear. Uh, so, but getting back to the point. Well, yeah. well, and even, and even I, I think this would actually be a really good topic. So it, you it and I have been really talking about how like, hey, we need to have a tally of like, yeah, hey, let's yeah. talk about this. Uh, but, but even like, this is something in my own. Uh, yeah context where we acknowledge this was an issue as, as we have a church that is a larger yep. uh, congregation. So you're just not going to have access to the senior pastor or the preaching pastor. And so it, it, for us, what we decided to do is to say, Hey, how could we really make sure we foster that conversation and oh, have good. the abilities there? So we specifically developed like study guides uh, for our servants uh, that they yep. go for our, for our small groups. And so, you know, they're, they're able to have those conversations. They have access to pastors, um, or other people to have those dialogues Excellent. through the week. Because you can't just leave something out there and say, okay, now you guys do something with this. Exactly. <laughs> it, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I really like the idea. And I know the churches that are doing that also, and I'm doing that for a church right now uh, in Livermore mm -hmm. uh, in a couple of months, that the study groups and the Bible studies or whatever are focusing on the sermon saying, okay, let's go deeper now. Mm -hmm. Because now you do remember what the sermon was on Sunday, because yeah. you're, you've been doing in a Bible study Monday, a devotional Monday through Friday, and maybe a Bible study on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. That's all. So that that's excellent. That's yeah. excellent. But yeah. so the point in hand, though, was the fact that the whole focus of the church is on me and my sermon, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm the star. Uh, I just don't like that. I, or I just like, a self-help guide, like five yeah. tips to a better whatever. And at yeah. the end, you're, you're going away and it's, it's no different than a TED talk. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've preached in churches even recently, you know, in the last year or so that uh, larger churches, you know, and, and they have the sound guy in the back there and he tells you when to go on and off stage and do you want a water pastor? And, and they're treating you like you're like, and I'm like, look, dude, we're all just as equally important here in the kind of, in the way this church works. You're not my servant. I, I do appreciate that you're trying to make sure that I have what I need, but I just felt uncomfortable with that. And mm -hmm. I, I get it. It's important. Yeah. I, I do need a bottle of water. Where do I get it? But it, the way that it's done in some of the larger churches almost just leads to this celebrity uh, ness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, the other thing I'd add to this is the fact that we affirm the sin. This, I think this is really crucial. We affirm the sinfulness of humanity, yet we often view our pastors as being above that. Mm -hmm. 
or so that that's on the congregation now, or the hierarchy of the church is set up in such a way that there are no accountability structures in place. Yep. And I'm sorry, that's dangerous. Yeah. That, that is really dangerous. You know, the reality is if you find a perfect church, the fact that you found it just made it imperfect. Mm-hmm. As soon as you enter in that building, it just became an imperfect church. And that's true for all of us. And so the sermon, that's all telling me, hey, hey you need to work on this or, or how to be more Christ-like here. That's great. But the reality is the pastor needs to have accountability in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the other dangers that we see as we get to the issue in a little bit about people that have been hurt is the fact that there's often no accountability. And when there is even accountability, it's always, let's protect the pastor. And why are we protecting the pastor? Well, because we got to protect the church. It's like, yep. no, there's people that are, there are victims out there and they're struggling. And we, and that, I don't know, that's just what the church is all about. I'm just, it just came to my mind. Uh, we're, we're recording this the night after Simone Biles. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I've, I, been, yeah. I've literally been enraged by that today. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I, I was with a pastor today and I'm like, I wish I had time in my schedule to write a pod, a, a blog on this because mm-hmm. we need to affirm what she's doing and, and, yeah. and everything else. The reality is she's a victim yes. and she's being asked to go out and represent the very organization that victimized her yeah. and to do it at the highest competitive level for, for personal reasons also, but it, it, she's still wearing this, this uniform that represents the, uh, yeah. the women's gymnastics and stuff like that. And the reality of what it takes to do that and yet what it, and as soon as she walks out there, she's struggling with the victim, being the victim mm-hmm. and it's just reminding her of that uniform reminds her of what the organization, the, the gymnastics team did for her. So we, we well, can sympathize it, with that. I, 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 there's, a, with that. There's, there's a clip of a, a very famous guy who's attached to, a, he, he claims to be a Christian, very, very elegant you know, charismatic speaker, a very bright guy who's very much attached to, uh, you know, what I would call uh, Christian nationalism and Christian nationalistic uh, groups. And uh, he has a kind of a viral clip going around today. And I don't even want to say his name because I just don't want to yeah, even acknowledge right. him, you know, but he, he basically just calls her this loser and a, a sociopath oh, is the term he used. Um, and, it, you know, it's like, this is why we're weak and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, Bro, first off, you claim to be a Christian. You speak in churches all the time. Yeah. Where is any empathy or compassion in this? How is this right. not Jesus? This is a girl who, for the majority of her life, was victimized, who was basically, you know, raped and molested, in you know, yeah. by the trainer, the very person who's supposed to care for her body. I don't know what happened to her. She could have got out there and had a huge PTSD moment. Like I yeah. have no clue what's happening with this girl. And, and she's a girl. She's a woman. She's 24 years old. Wow. And the fact that our first, uh, our, our first reaction is to go performance base. Like yeah. you're, I can't believe you're doing that. And it's the same people who are sharing memes of maybe Chinese athletes who are saying, do you ever, I saw this yesterday. Are you worried that if this person doesn't win, they go back to their country and they're, you know, uh, you know, there's something condemned by their government. Right. It's like, we're doing the same thing socially for them and it's all performance based we're not viewing these people as people and even as a victim if there's anyone who should have the ability to be given a free pass it's someone like a simone biles and and from the christian community to speak out on to speak against her you guys just don't get it (laughs) so i've been literally enraged in this all day we didn't know i didn't know you're going to bring this up but it's (laughs) yeah well and maybe by grace i could stay up till 4 a.m and and write a pot and write a blog yeah yeah right but that your, your comment that you just made as well. Let's talk about that for just a second. The reality is, is that mental illnesses are illnesses. Mm-hmm. And yet we've shamed people that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have a broken arm 
or some other injury, oh, well, you'll get better. But having an injury in the brain is, is a physical injury, the same as an injury of, of everything else. And the abuse that she went through wasn't just the abuse of this individual, but the organization that was supposed to protect her. Absolutely. There's so much attached to it. Exactly. And that's, that's the conversation we're having. And when yes. people speak up in churches and then they go protect the pastor and the guest that we had, I'll go ahead and say it. Scott McKnight that we had on the podcast just the other day sent me a note and said, why do people protect mm-hmm. the, the people in charge? Why do I think that? And the, and I gave him a long list of it. I said, I've been thinking about this for a while. <laughs> so here, here's a long list of answers. And one of the answers is, oh, well, because we have to protect the church's witness. Hmm. You know, we, we can't let this get out there that the pastor is actually corrupt and bad because it makes the church look bad and the press is going to jump all over it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, when do we become more concerned about the people? And, and wouldn't compassion towards the victims be wouldn't that be what being a tove church christ-like church looks like we'll get to that in here in, in a little bit it's it's just tragic that that we do this and so one of the things i would note is that victims of abuse don't like to speak up mm-hmm. because it just reminds them of all their pain i've spoken to many victims of of abuse and they all they all refuse to speak up everyone mm-hmm. i spoke to Mm-hmm. Uh, they've come to me for whatever reasons, or I went to them for whatever reasons. And they're like, nope. And part of it is because they're convinced that the hierarchy just won't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And also it's because talking about it themselves just makes them relive it. And people that have had, that do have bona fide PTSD as a result of, of what they've suffered. So I think we got to stop and go, you know, let's, let's think about this here. Now let's acknowledge, yeah, it's true. People have, I've been in pastoral ministry. They have, there are people that have agendas that want to take you down mm-hmm. and they're going to make accusations against you and, and you better be careful and you better be ready. And so sure, if these accusations are false and they're slanderous because somebody just has an agenda, sure. But you know what? When people come up with some abuse situations and things like that, they're probably not making it up. And of course the Willow Creek, you know, it's just easy mm-hmm. to jump on that, but it's a, it's a great example. The leadership and the board of Willow Creek said, no, 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 Bill Hybels, there's no way he did this. And, and what caused, I don't know if you know the story, but Scott McKnight was actually the one who wrote a blog yep. who said, I don't think the women are, that are making this one up. And the board came to him. It's, this is on his podcast, so I know I can say this. The board came to him and said, uh, of Will, said, you know, you need to take that blog down. And let's see if we can resolve this over the next few weeks. And he said, no, I'm not taking the blog down. He says, I know. And he mentions, you know, the, the ladies that, that, were, that were speaking up at Willow Creek and said, you know, they're not lying. They're, I know they're not. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason why Willow Creek, that's the primary reason why the Willow Creek thing blew up was because the board was trying to stifle it and keep, keep it quiet. And they came out with a public affirmation of it. And in fact, I think part of the story actually is that Bill Hybels went on stage and said, this is just not true. And mm-hmm. the, the however many thousands of people that were there applauded him mm-hmm. in affirmation. And yet it was only because the character of the women that were speaking up is like, you know, their character is really strong character. I think we need to stop and go, you know, let's take these seriously before, before we go any further. But, but even there, if, if I'm one of those women sitting in that congregation the day he comes out and you know that yep. every thousands of people are behind this guy, That's right. I might've been yeah. ready to speak out, but it's like, okay, what, what why would I go through this? Why am I going to put my name out there? There will be no justice here. I just need to live with this and eat it. 
That's right. And, and, and I think that's another answer. One of the answers I gave and another answer to, to Scott's question, why do people that are on staff, the people that are in leadership that know what's going on, that there's corruption and abuse, why do they let this happen? Uh, and it's because the, the question is, is it even going to be worthwhile? Is it going to do any good? And, and my answer is, I don't care if it's going to do any good. That's not our, the end result is not our job. Yeah. Our job is to be faithful and, and to be faithful means you need to speak up sometimes against injustice and it might cost you your job, yeah. but do you really trust the Lord that he can, you're doing this, let's put it this way, you're doing this for the sake of the victims, you're doing this for the sake of people who might be victimized again in the, fu in the future, but you're also doing it for the person, for the sake of the person who's doing the victimizing yeah. because that person needs to stop and, and they, they need, it's a loving thing to do to speak up and say, no, you need to stop this. And it doesn't matter what they do back to you, as long as you've done what is right. You know, as first Peter says, keep a clean conscience. Mm -hmm. So those who speak slanderously against you will be ashamed of, the, of, of what they say. And that, that may or may not happen. You, you may be the stupid idiot that, that no one believes. So be it. You, you walk away with a clean conscience saying, I've done my job. I was only supposed to speak up. It's God's job now to, to help other people speak up and, and bring about change. So yeah. and it's more complicated it, than that. But, but even, even just to give another illustration that might drive the point home to go back to one of your first points about how, you know, oh, we can't speak up because we need to preserve the witness of the church. Everyone listening to this podcast knows that that's bogus because if, if we were to remove maybe the exactly. Protestant church, let, let's remove our own tribe from this context right now and say oh, over the last century, you've heard so much uh, in terms of accusation against the Roman Catholic church and even a non-Christian group like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, where there's like this, this ongoing abuse is happening by leaders in there or alleged. And what happened in the instance of both those uh, organizations for so long, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses still will deny it. The Roman Catholic Church, I think, has tried to do a better job of addressing that in recent years. But what is happening? They're denying it forever. And it's it's like, you guys can't deny this. This is literally everywhere. It's jokes. When it becomes jokes in, in popular mainstream culture, you know it's real. And and so what, do, what does that say about the witness for everyone? You know, we, as Protestants, we exactly. can sit back there and we'll, we'll critique either one of those groups anyway, because that's what we do. And like, so why would it be any different from us? Instead, if, if we saw a Roman Catholic church or a, a watchtower, Bible tract site, or any kind of organization that had this issue, if they were the first ones to stand in line and start critiquing it, we might say, wow, there's some gnarly stuff happening in there, but I actually respect what they're doing. It, it's okay. And some people would say that and so others would be, I, I'm just done with them, but, but you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. But, but that's, the, that's what integrity is. That, that's where it's saying, Hey, no, we're not preserving the name of the the local church, the, the branding of that is no, it's preserving the name of Jesus in the local church. That's ultimately what you're, you're, you should be defending. And that, how do you do that by going after justice? Like that, that's ultimately going to preserve Jesus's name. Yeah. Let me say it this way. And I, I want to be careful here because I could be easily misunderstood. I don't want to say that there's a binary good and bad. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's, it's certainly more difficult than that, but just think of it in the sense that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, belong to the kingdom of heaven. There are going to be people mm -hmm. in our churches that are not followers of Christ. And they're going to act like unchristian. So let's just, let's just say it's, it's, that's the situation. Because we are talking about pastors and leaders that are followers of Jesus that are messing up. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to use a simpler explanation. Let's say they're messing up and, and, and making a mockery of the church and whatever they're, they're doing. Well, the witness of the church still needs to be, hey, that's not really the gospel message. That's not really what the gospel looks like. And 
And when that remnant group is speaking up saying, hopefully that's what is seen. So even more so when it is people in the church that really probably are followers of, because we, we're not going to condemn all the, I, I know the Hybels a, a little bit and, and they're good people. And, and I think they really do follow Jesus. I, no question about it. But that itself, when it hits the press, I know individuals, and I'm sure you do, and many listen, uh, listeners do, that go, yep, that's the church. I don't want anything to be a part. I don't want to be a part of this. And when, But when they look at, hopefully, at you or myself or other, other people going, yeah, that's wrong. That's not the church. That Hopefully, that can win them and go, okay, maybe, maybe that's not what all Christians are like, because I do know this person or that person or other that are speaking up, that are condemning it, that live differently. That's not, that's not what it is. So it's so important for the witness of the church to be the witness of the church. Cause you're right. Eventually it's going to get exposed. Mm-hmm. And the longer you go with this, the worse it's going to get for the church's witness. Yeah. And, and let alone the fact that more people are getting hurt. Uh, more people are getting abused. Let's, let's talk, for example, about the fact that it's not, we're not just talking about sexual abuse. We're, we're talking mm-hmm. about narcissistic abuse. We're talking mm-hmm. about uh, power abuse, things, things of that nature. But if you're not aware, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest Protestant denomination of, in, in the United States, did a major investigation. I think it's in the last number of years, like 2015, 16, 17, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they found that there were for over 20 years in the denomination, there were yeah. over 700 victims. And again, that's only the victims that spoke up because you know there's others who just, I can't go through the trauma of speaking up. When they found that out, there was still a contingency within the leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention that said, we can't let this get out to the press. And there was actually an an Associated Press report that quoted them, insiders saying, in, in secret meetings that were actually recorded, where they were saying, you know, we, we, we can't let this get out. Uh, uh, we, we, need, we need to preserve the base is what I think, quote unquote, we need to preserve the base. And I can actually put the link for this article in, in the show notes there. Why are you so concerned about preserving the base when you've got 700 victims? Mm-hmm. That's, we should be concerned about that. And we should be concerned about the fact that there's likely more victims. One of the things that they found out in the Southern Baptist Convention, I think it's in the last year or so, they've said, that a lot of these pastors were getting let go and they were being picked up by other Southern Baptist churches. And the Southern Baptist Convention said, you know what? If you are hiring these people, you have to either fire them or we're kicking you out of the denomination. Aim, f- stand, you, amen, finally. Mm-hmm. But the, the reality is these pastors go and they, and they leave and they just go somewhere else. And they probably don't disclose, disclose what happened. Now, I would look at this, and I've said this a little bit to some of the leaders in my own denomination and said, we can't be so ignorant to think that this is not happening in our denomination either. Mm-hmm. We might want to take a look at this and, and, and see what's going on. You know, somebody made a comment. I don't remember what con- context I had. I had this conversation. It could have been on one of our podcasts that they rarely hear pe- sermons. Oh, it was, I think it was uh, with Mimi Haddad that they really, I, I could be wrong, that they really hear, rarely hear sermons on uh, pornography and sexual mm-hmm sexual uh, diseases in the church. Mm-hmm. I preached on it a lot of, a number of times. And I told my congregation, I said, look, statistics say that this percentage of our co- of, of men and this percentage of women in our country are doing this. I, I'm maybe in the church a little bit less, but I bet some people in this room are. Mm-hmm. We, we have to be that explicit. This is wrong. It's hurting people. It's, it's, 
especially when it comes to children. So this is an, an issue. These are issues that we need to take very, very seriously. And, and we're not talking just about sexual abuse. We're talking about uh, abuse of power and, and mental abuse and emotional abuse. And then recognize the fact, the fact that when a fact that when there's a victim, especially someone like Simone Biles, she's not weak. What what she did was really difficult because if she didn't do anything, no one would be speaking bad about her. Yeah. As soon as she stood up and said, "I can't do this," she's putting herself in the place where she's likely going to get scorned from some people. Uh, now, I was with the pastor today and we were talking about, he's like, I'm, I'm just so glad I've seen so much support for her. I'm like, yeah. yes, amen. Uh, so we need, we need to be doing this in the church as well. Yeah. And, and I think we're, you know, she's just someone who people should be speaking out for. There should be national Simone by all day, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. for us, it's the, it's the quintessential, uh, quintessential example of what a victim is and how they're even mistreated even after everyone, there's no question that she was abused, right? So like we're using that as an example for what's happening in the church. Uh, and so we're, we're not like equating, you know, her with, like, I don't know what her spiritual life is like that, right. but it's just, it's just a great illustration for something that we could see uh, or we might not be seeing in the church. Uh, let, let's shift gears a little bit yeah, and, yeah. and say, okay, um, you know, we've recognized issues, especially when it comes to leadership and whatnot why don't churches focus on being good like Jesus? <laughs> um, or, you know, because it, it's one of those things that oftentimes we're defined by the things we don't want to be, uh, <laughs> you know, so wh why can't our motivation be the thing we want to be? Uh, it's like this, uh, and I'll use this as an example. Uh, you and I both uh, ride motorcycles. What, what's the thing that you learn? The first thing you learn when you're, you're learning how to ride a motorcycle, you're, the bike's going to go wherever your head goes, right? <laughs> so if you see a big rock or a cone, don't look at it because you will hit it. Why isn't, why doesn't that become our motivation to say, Hey, like, let, let's actually make this the thing that we want to become. We want to be Tove. We want to be like Jesus. Why, why is that our focus? Yeah. I think a lot of churches would go, what are you talking about? That is our focus. And I think you and I would say, I'm not sure that it is because you're not living out the mission statement that you have a, a lot of times. You're appealing to the consumerist mentality, You're, right? The problem is, is Jesus said, I would look at it this way. Jesus had thousands of followers while he was around. He fed 5,000 at one time, which might've just have been the men that were counted, mm -hmm. which meant he had 12, 10 to 12,000 or more at one month. The crowds followed Jesus around and they loved him. Yet after he dies, and rises again. And he, this guy, this is a guy who did miracles too. So uh, you, you got to, okay, if you're a church planter and you can do miracles, you're probably going to have a, a successful church. Mm -hmm. He did, he did miracles. He taught these things, but after he died and rose again, he had 120 people. I'm sorry. Jesus was not a good mega pastor. A and why, what's the difference? Why were there so many people following him at the beginning and so few at the end? Because he said, take up your cross and follow me. And he meant it. Mm -hmm. And once people found out he really meant that, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not good for this. I actually have to sell my property and give it to the poor? No, this is ancestral land. I, you, you know the Old Testament law doesn't even allow me to sell this, yeah. Jesus. How am I going to survive? Dude, I just fed you with seven loaves of bread. What do you think? I'm capable of feeding you. Well, you know... That was a good meal, Jesus, but I'm not selling my, my position. When the gospel doesn't sell. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do, so here's the problem. 
preaching, you know, carrying your cross doesn't put seats, butts in the seat, and it doesn't mm-hmm. put money in the coffer. Mm-hmm. I, now, I do believe that there are a lot of Christians in our country and in the West, that's, that's just the context that we're speaking of, that really want to hear that message. They, they do want to follow Jesus. When you see books like Francis Chan's book comes out, and uh, what's that other book? I'm trying, I can't think of the name. Um, oh, it's going to escape me. You see these guys, right? People buy their books because you know what? They, they like that. They, I knew there was something more mm-hmm. and I want that something more. But the reality is that the majority of people in our churches don't want that something more. And so even when I was in senior leadership, I had to, I had to balance between really being forthright and straight with the gospel and at the same time, also being gentle, because I knew that there were some people that I need to carry along and shepherd carefully. Mm-hmm. But I had to also be careful about not compromising what the gospel really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, my grandson's here. So <laughs> a new sooner or later, he's going to come in. Yeah. Hi, Oliver. I know people that have been in my churches that haven't given up self. They haven't sacrificed the self. And the reality is, that it, the gospel message just doesn't sell. And so a lot of churches are like, yeah, uh, I'll go ahead and I'll go this direction. So I, I think that's a large part of it. I, and I think I would start there. The gospel doesn't actually sell. And so let's not go there because we want people to come. And if we told them how to take up their cross and give all the possessions away, they go, yeah, no, not for me. Yeah. And, and this is why, like, I, I love a book like uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, The Cost of Discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. Right. In, in his whole, I mean, he just does brilliant things with the Sermon on the Mount, but his whole concept of cheap grace. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just, it, it's like, okay, what is this thing actually costing you? Uh, and if it was so easy, it would be for everyone and everyone would do it. And, and as you've said, like, hey, no, it's, this just isn't something that even people who say they're followers of Jesus, yeah, they actually are not. Uh, that's, I don't know that I imagine even they're like in a Matthew 25, like being, uh, would that have been a more difficult passage to hear as an early Christian, uh, when you, the ghost part. Yeah. Yeah. Would that have been easier, more difficult to hear then? We don't really teach it now. Anytime we go to the Olivet Discourse, it's just about end time stuff. Right. And so it's like, can we even teach a passage like that in our modern times without having to deconstruct all that junk? But, but it's like, man, like, I don't know, that would be actually a study like commentaries and whatnot. Like, how has that passage actually been understood by the church in the history of, uh, you know, the last 2000 years and how seriously is it taken and, and whatnot? Let me answer this question in a little bit different way. We are this one global body of Christ, all, all Christians. One of the problems that happens in the American church is the fact that we don't suffer because, well, how am I going to suffer? Right. I mean, what am I going to do? I mean, people down the street don't care that I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. There's, I, I don't have to worry about being thrown into prison or being killed for being a Christian. I, I don't suffer. But the answer is, I do suffer because those brothers of mine in India or in China or in North Korea or in Africa, they are my, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says, if one member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. We are suffering. And it's their suffering in particular that's, that we need to go, hey, maybe God's given us power and privilege and money and even education to help them who don't have access to power, don't have access to education, don't have access to resources, so that we can be a voice for them. And I think God's going to say, if you guys aren't going to use your power 
and the privilege that I've given you or granted you or permitted you to have, I'm taking it away. And so it's like, well, you know, I, I give my tithe. Well, you know what? You also make $350,000 a year and mm -hmm. giving 35,000 is nothing for you. Come on, mm -hmm. seriously. Mm -hmm. But somebody else who makes 20,000 shouldn't probably be putting anything in the coffer because that's below the poverty level. Mm -hmm. you, you have no obligation to tithe at all. And you should be tithing way more than 10%. Mm -hmm. And give it to this church, give it to the church around the world. I, I think we aren't suffering because we don't have this concept of the global church and our responsibility, because the sermon that you're talking about of Jesus, you know, in Matthew 25 is, Lord, when did we see you naked or, and clothe mm -hmm. you? When did we see yeah. you thirsty and give you something to drink? Because we don't see anybody naked around us. And it's just, I, I, I know they're all over the world, but we're so locked into our local context that we don't think about it. Oh, well, I'll, I support the local, I go to the missions dinner every year and I throw some money in the basket then. Well, and that's, that's great. It's a start, but we got a long ways to go from there. How, how would you like, cause we're talking about it, like in this instance, you know, issues of discipleship yeah. uh, and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, carrying your cross or, you know, giving or being self-sacrificial, if I'm kind of putting you on the spot on this one, if you were to like define discipleship in, in a, you know, mm -hmm. in a quick kind of way, like how, what encompasses discipleship? Many factors encompass. So let's look at what's the, what's the, what does a disciple look like? And focus the conversation like, you know, what does a good church look like? I think that's kind of what we're asking mm -hmm, here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and what does a disciple in a good church look like? A disciple looks like Jesus. The more and more, I look more like Jesus today or this year than I did last year. Mm -hmm. That's evidence that I'm growing in the faith in following Jesus. I'm more loving and sacrificially loving. Now, what I liked about McKnight's book and, and Laura's book, Scott and, and Laura's book was uh, they want to create Tove churches and good churches. I think the problem with that is that we leave it so undefined that most churches say, I'm doing that. So like your initial question was, why aren't churches following Jesus and, and making that part of who they are? I think most churches would say we are. And I think we'd say, no, you're actually not. And, and the conversation that we're going to have in two weeks or so with Michael Gorman, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be one of the most important conversations we have. And I think, and I hope, and I think you and I will continue having these conversations over, over the course of time. Michael Gorman has coined a phrase, and he kind of coined it officially, he's the one that's associated with it, of cruciformity, that the Christian life should look cruciform, and his two words smashed together, crucified and conformed, conformed to the way of the cross. If we did that, that, that's what it really looks like. Now, how do we get there? Well, it becomes a matter of the heart and sacrificing ourselves daily before the throne of Christ. I think the Lord's Prayer as a radical component of our daily life, I need you to be Lord and me not to be. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm here to do the work of your kingdom today. And that might be me going off in my carpentry trade, doing my job, trying to reflect Christ in my workplace. And then in my home, when I come home in the evening, whatever it might be. So we start with that attitude of the heart, surrendering it to Christ in personal prayer then it has to be saturated in the word. I, you know, the reason why I still take on the label evangelical is because I still have a high view of the word. I just do. I think the scripture is living and active and sharpened than a two-edged sword. But I also think that we should not be doing any of these things in isolation. It can't be, you have a personal devotion, you have a personal private prayer time. The, the church is the body of Jesus. 
collectively. And we're called to collectively gather, to collectively worship, to collectively grow, to collectively keep one another accountable. So I think a disciple has somebody above them that they're mentoring, that, that's mentoring them and leading them, who themselves may have somebody above them. And at least maybe they're lead pastors and they have people at least equal to them. I think they're being discipled by others, which is them speaking into their lives, teaching them the word more effectively, training them. And then I would go to something like Dallas Willard or Richard Foster and, and read uh, their books on spiritual disciplines and say, yeah, practice those things. Practice the art of fasting, practice the art of giving, practice the art of self-sacrifice, that we must train ourselves to do these things to become more and more disciple-like. Let me, let me put you on the spot. What would you add to, to kind of that question? What some things that you're thinking of? Well, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with what you're saying. Actually, what I, I you better not. Yeah, I, right. I know no, I would get yeah. kicked off the podcast. <laughs> yeah. What 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 I what really clicked for me though, as you were saying that, uh, is you know you'd mentioned how there's a lot of people who think they're being discipled. And I would say they are being discipled. It's what are they be, being discipled yeah, from? So is it are they being discipled to be tov? Are they to be discipled to being like Jesus, or are they merely being discipled to be like their local church institution? Yes, and so if their if their local uh, well church said. institution has a culture, are you merely being discipled in that? And we see that all the time, especially with, um, you know, we like I'll poke at the mega churches because I'm kind of part of a smaller, you know, it might my church would be considered one. But, yeah. but when you start having that church culture, uh, that that Christian subculture in which there's a certain kind of music you just listen to all the time, and uh, there's certain ways you talk and certain movies you watch, and it, it's it's more about all those sorts of things, and your politics get wrapped up into it. Um, it's like, that's the thing that I think many people are being discipled in. And, and so they have this box and says, this is what a Christian looks like. And it's more of just the, it's defined by the movies you do and don't watch <laughs> the uh, you know, the candidates you do or do not give to right. uh, you know, the, the, the Christian radio stations that you, you know, listen to popular Christian music on um, and that sort of thing. Like that is what they're probably discipled in. And that probably becomes the thing that you're wanting to protect at a point. Uh, it's, it's all the, uh, I actually, I have a really good friend who owned a Christian bookstore and peace be upon them because they don't exist anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, but he, he owned one. It's called amazon.com. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and it's, it's amazing. Cause he was, he was a legitimate like Christian dude. And um but he sold all the stuff in his bookstore that you have to sell. And this guy was like well-read and great in theology, gave a lot of stuff away, like a true giver. But it's like, bro, what is with all this stuff? And, and we kind of like jokingly called it the Jesus junk. Mm -hmm. And it's like, do you really need like all this, just that stuff that goes along with it? Uh, and it's like that, that's part of that Christian subculture that I think a lot of people are discipled into and want to preserve that kind of stuff, the artifacts uh, that make up right. uh, their faith. Yeah, let's also note here too, we're not bashing on churches in the sense that they're all bad. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Nor all pastors. Being a pastor and 31 years of ministry experience now, I'm sorry, folks, this is the most difficult job there is. I don't know why anyone would do it. If I were to go teach at a seminary now, my first lecture would probably be, are you sure you really want to do this? Because I don't think you have any idea what you're getting yourself into. It is so difficult. There's so many people um, pulling on them in so many different directions. And so there's a lot of pastors out there. They're preaching the gospel pre and, and they're living it out their lot in their own personal lives. And they're really challenging their churches. And then they're just met by all the resistors who just don't want to do it. Uh, and, and it's hard. And I know a lot of people in those churches that want to follow that. Mm -hmm. uh, I had an experience one time where the Lord just said to me, Rob, I know you want to help everyone kind of follow the path that you're trying to lead them on. 
And so you keep, you keep circling the sheep and pushing them all up the hill. And the Lord just said to me, Rob, some of them just aren't going to go up the hill. They just aren't. You can keep circling them around, but all you're going to do is just cause the whole church to stay stagnant right now. Instead, recognize, I think the Lord said to me, recognize the fact that there's some who really do want to go up the hill and you just need to lead them. Mm-hmm. And be content with the fact that some of them, some of those sheep are not going to go up the hill and they're just going to fall off the side of the road. That's that, that's hard. It's just really mm-hmm. hard to do because because you care for these people. The thing about being a pastor, being a lead pastor, is you love these people as almost your own family. You're, you've been in their homes, you've buried their family members, you've baptized their kids, you've counseled them during all these times. You've enjoyed Bible studies with them. You've enjoyed outreaches with them. Uh, it's really hard when they walk away or when they fall away or when they die. So uh, it's a difficult task. And then also recognizing churches just aren't going to ever be perfect. Cause as, as we said earlier, they're just full of imperfect people and we do let non-Christians in. And even then the Christians aren't doing that great either, but it goes back to our question. Why do churches not focus more on the sacrificial crucifixion crucifixion like life of jesus and i think part of the answer is what well, it doesn't put seats in the butt butts in the seats in the butt it doesn't put butts in the seat either uh, it doesn't put money in the coffer and i think sometimes we end up becoming more concerned about preserving the institution than we are as you mentioned than we are about actually following jesus yeah so let's get into our third point uh, yeah. um, as we kind of uh, and I don't know how many points we have a lot of points, but, uh, a couple more. We'll finish wh- up. yeah, wh- what we say, what is the purpose of the church then? And, and I, I, I'm assuming when we ask that question, we're meaning just the universal church, right? Yeah, it is. And let's just say, all right, well, there's no way we can answer that fully. Now we've touched, I think we've touched a lot on it already. So let's just, let me just make a couple of comments in response to your, your question. And then we'll move on to the, to the, mm-hmm. our last couple of points here. So we can finish this up. Uh, the purpose of the church as a collective body is to be the image and likeness of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and to make him known to the world. And we do that as bearers of the gospel message by living out the kingdom. And the kingdom is one of the new creation, transforming uh, God's creation into uh, God's intended purpose. The individual members of that church are supposed to personally grow in the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ and reflecting him. And we do that collectively because I don't have all the gifts and you don't have all the gifts and Mary doesn't have all the gifts and neither does Margaret. And we need all of them together to work together. Now, part of that, of course, becomes a worshiping community, but it also is a serving community because Jesus served and the kingdom looks like doing justice and recovering sight to the blind and, and healing the, the, and feeding the sick and healing the lame. Uh, that's the, the purpose of local church. I think part of it also like, well, what's the purpose of a Sunday gathering? Well, certainly it is to magnify the name of Christ, mm-hmm. but it's also a time when we can come together and go, oh man, living out in the world was tough this week. Mm-hmm. I struggled here. I struggled there. Oh, I, me too. We encourage one another. We repent together. We build one another up. We worship together. And, and then we do get a sermon and we're fed. I think communion is a central part of that. The whole idea of that is to equip us now to go back out in the world. Uh, you know, I, I've seen churches that had uh, signs in their parking lots that say, "You are now entering the mission field as you mm-hmm. leave the as you leave the church parking lot." Mm-hmm. I don't think I think the mission field is the church is inside the church building as well. That that's kind of what I would summarize now in, in, in the simple way, and I think we can add more to that as well. Do you have anything to add to that? No, no I I 
I mean, there's obviously a lot more we could add to that, but I think it's a yeah. great place to land. Um, so, you know, we kind of touched on this a few minutes ago, but as we were talking about church, you know, churches, you know, we, we do want to make sure the point, the point of this is to not just bash mega churches. Like, and I think that's one thing that could happen in these conversations. Uh, you, you had mentioned the, um, the interview with uh, Mimi Haddad, uh, which that, that already launched last week, right? It did, just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So even with that conversation, you know, as, as we, there are like kind of poster children for dysfunctional <laughs> institutions or denominations and that, and that's fine. What we're not saying is every church in the SBC is evil or right, every absolutely. mega church is bad or, or you know we, we don't want to paint with such a broad brush you know it, it's not merely complementarian churches that right. are, cause issues with abuse you know, like bill hybels's church was literally an egalitarian church like, right. and so w- what we don't want to do is paint with such a broad brush uh, that we're throwing everyone under the bus that's just irresponsible and just not true it's bearing right. false witness um so we would say all mega churches are not bad we're not condemning them right correct uh, absolutely okay right um, and, 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 and mega churches have a lot to offer, and they, yeah. and, they, and they, I, I'm I'm personally have a suspicious approach to them because how did you get so big? Because Jesus Jesus did miracles for three years, he raised himself from the dead, and he didn't have a mega church at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So, have you gotten to be so large because you've compromised the gospel? Uh, not necessarily. Maybe some of them did. Maybe, maybe some of them did. I think yeah. maybe a lot of them yeah. did personally, yeah. though. I, I really think they did. I, I think that has to be a means of explanation. I do think a lot of those churches are, because they're so heavily resourced, they're able to do a lot of great things. Absolutely. But I think also the fact that they have the celebrity mentality sometimes, and because they have uh, these things that are off-putting to people, that I think sometimes that even though they're doing all these good things with the resource that they have, they're also not reflecting Christ well enough and, and, and giving the church a bad name. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, honestly, the way I think about that a lot of times is kind of the way I look at politicians where, especially like high level politicians, like mm-hmm. you don't get there without compromising something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and there's probably a couple of them out there that I, I, I hate to say that because it makes it sound like we should be suspicious, but you got to give somewhere. I mean, it, it, even there, and it, this could be a whole other thing, but like I know pastors of large churches who literally agonize, especially in an era of COVID when you're going to have financial hits and those sorts of things, they agonize at night saying we're getting hit financially in, or people are just leaving because they don't like me because I might be teaching something that isn't popular. Mm-hmm. And what that means is like, I'm still going to have the job. It means that people are going to give less and I'm going to have to cut someone. And large churches yeah. are oftentimes employers of lots of people. And, and, and so there's a reality of that where like, I, like I've never been in the position of a lead pastor of a mega church, but there's a lot that, you know, even for the faithful, uh, you know, folks who out there who are leading those, there's an aspect where they legitimately carry that burden to say, I could say something that costs us thousands of dollars and that results in someone's livelihood. And um, there are pastors that have done that mm-hmm. and we should laud them for doing that. And, and yeah. let's go back for really quickly. We should laud the SBC because of what they did mm-hmm. uh, with the corruption in the, in the churches. They, they spoke up and they did it and they knew it would hurt. They knew it would give them a bad reputation uh, and they knew people would fight back, but they did it. And I think that we, we should praise them for that and acknowledge that. Uh, and there are pastors that have done that. And I think we should acknowledge that. Uh, I think there's something to be said for what Francis Chan did, stepping mm-hmm. down from a mega church and having everything they ever can. You know what? I think there's something more. Uh, excellent. 
And again, I think there are mega churches that are grappling with the very things that you're saying. And okay, we're not going to go down that path, but we're going to do everything we can to to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, no, no question about it. Yeah. Hey, uh, we've talked about a lot in the last hour. Uh, mm-hmm. And a final thoughts. How do you want to wrap it up, or you know, insert an exhortation, or what? What are your yeah. final thoughts on this? Excellent. Uh, one, when it comes to people that are abused and hurt, we need to listen to them. If you're listening to this podcast and you've you've felt that abuse, you've, you've been hurt, we want to speak up and be advocates for you. Don't be afraid to tell us your stories so that we can figure out how to help and provide you some care and, and some resources. We want to continue to speak into this question. I think we'll come back to this maybe in a few in, in several months. More, I think the Michael Gorman conversation is going to be really, really significant mm-hmm. in a few weeks. Uh, number two, for those of you who are pastoring and in, in, in pastoral ministry, guys, this and gals, this is really hard stuff. And to those who are listening, you need to be praying for them because they are in difficult, difficult situations. And then I think we acknowledge that the church is just a messy place uh, and it's going to be a messy place. And, and, and if God's okay with that messiness, then we need to figure that out as well. And I, be, I would say, be careful about being so judgmental and critical of the church that you walk away because you're part of the problem too. And so it's a, it's a messy place. And so we have to be careful of that. I, I've, I had a conversation with some pastoral leaders before, and I'm thinking, I don't know how anyone like Jeremiah could ever have done what he did. Hmm. I don't know how Ezekiel could ever have done what he did. I don't know how Paul could ever have done what he did. These people, the abuse that they took was unreal and unimaginable. And one last thought on, on the victims of abuse, by the way, one of the one of the worst problems of the fact that it's that people are being abused by churches is that the church is the one place they're supposed to go to get the help that they need. Mm-hmm. That's the last place that they ever expected to be abused by. The, the reality, though, is, is church life is difficult. It's messy. And I think it's messy because the devil knows what the church is for. Mm-hmm. We have a, The church has an enemy, and that enemy is real, and he's going to come into our churches, and he's going to come into our pastor's lives and take them down. He's going to come into the elders' lives. It's going to come into your life. The reality is that uh, we need to be praying against that and, and deliver us from, I think the Lord's prayer actually should be translated as deliver us from the evil one. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. And I do remember that from my Greek classes with you as well. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. Anyway. So. Hey, that was a great conversation. Hopefully, uh, like just to bookend what we said in the beginning, if this has brought up any stuff for you, email Rob. You, you can find his email in the uh, show notes and please reach out to someone uh, and you know have a safe conversation there and know that we are praying for you. Uh, even though we don't know you, we know that someone is going to be affected by this in, in some way. So as the church, we are there interceding uh, for you as well. Come back uh, next week. We're going to continue some more fun conversations and definitely look for that Mike Gorman conversation in a, in a couple of weeks because that's going to be a blast. But Rob, another fun evening. Well, I guess it's evening for us, but (laughs) good evening to everyone else as well. And we will see you guys soon. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.